Welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we've got a very special and very obligatory short round review of the brand new Star War, Episode 8, Space Bear, a.k.a. The Last Jedi. Jake, my pork pint is filled to the brim with the precious potable I plan to pair with this picture. So let's just cut to the chase and start talking about the latest movie from Ryan Johnson. What do you say? Pork pint. I got a bad feeling about this. Jake, so we are here with a very special, very quick little short round review of uh, our thoughts on Star Wars Last Jedi because we can't go without discussing it. So for all of those uh, Midnight Warriors and Cult of Carpenter members out there who are expecting the episode of The Fog, be patient, be with us. It's coming next week. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy this because we know you've already seen uh, The Last Jedi at least once. And uh, so let, let's dive in. Jake, you are a fan of the Star Wars movies, but you're not really a fanboy. So I'm very curious. There's been a lot of fanboy rage about this. Very curious to see what your more tempered uh, overall sort of uh, fandom of this of this picture, what what your thoughts were. What did you think of, of The Last Jedi? Well, um, so there's a little Star Wars background. I've never been on a Star Wars episode of this show. That's never, true. Never, never done it. Skipped all of them so far and let people who are more educated and more excited about it than I am to come on. Not that I don't like the series. Grew up watching the first three. Uh, I saw Phantom Menace when it came out. And even at 12 years old, I was like, eh, nah, you know what? I'm good. This, this was my favorite and gave up on the rest of the prequels. Yeah. So which is fair li- and totally understandable. Like I, li- I like Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it, it is not so big that I'm going to even see movies that I, I don't enjoy. Saw yeah. The Force Awakens and was very pleasantly surprised. I I didn't think it was groundbreaking, but I thought they did a good job of getting us familiar with new characters without going too off the wall with it. Yeah. Uh, went into this one with kind of low expectations, just trying to keep it low. Didn't watch a lot of trailers, didn't get too into it. And I left pretty happy with the movie. To be honest, that's great. I'm. I, I would say I'm a little more conflicted than you are. I loved so much of this movie. I really, I really liked a lot of it. I and I, you know, I, I had said on the show that I was pretty conflicted about, you know, if this isn't, if this is a bad movie, if this is like, this is going to be the one that that hurts me just because it's it's not just the new Star Wars movie. I I'm fine with a Star Wars movie that doesn't work for me. Rogue One last year didn't really work for me, but it's also a new Ryan Johnson movie. And for me, and I know I'm in the minority here, but that is the more important piece to this. 
Um, I, I will say, I think Ryan Johnson had an incredible task of basically picking up where JJ Abrams left off, where Abrams basically did the thing that he does best, which is, uh, you know, as, as a guy who comes from TV, he created some great new characters, these new characters that we really needed, uh, to, you know, make this, this concluding trilogy, not just like, Oh, let's revisit the old folks who, you know, were young in you know, in the seventies and early eighties, but are now old. And like it, it would be, I think it would be really tough if we were just sitting with Han, Leia and Luke and Chewie and three PO, et cetera, um, throughout these, these three films. So I think what he did by, you know, inventing Ray and Poe and Finn, um, was really smart. Even if, you know, a character like Poe didn't really get that much time to develop in the force awakens. But, uh, what, so what JJ did is he, he created these characters and then he did what he always does with his mystery box. I don't know if you've ever seen his Ted talk about like how he likes to approach story, but he likes, he likes to create questions, but not necessarily, he doesn't always care about the answer. So with this, um, from what I understand from like interviews with Ryan Johnson and stuff, he, JJ, you know, created Snoke, created Ray with, you know, not knowing her parents, all these things, but did not have the answers to actually what any of that was. He just built the mystery, the mystique. So Johnson basically had a blank canvas to take these characters who have their internal conflicts. And Kylo Ren, I should also mention, um, for, forgot to mention him, uh, and, and then develop them further. And I think, I think Johnson does a really good job with that. The places where I, falter a little bit is, I mean, it really, I guess we'll, we'll just dive right in. Do you, what do you say? I mean, we're going to make this, we're going to try to make this a fairly quick review. What do you, what do you say? We just dive into spoilers. Uh, I, I assume the theme song for this week was going to be spoilers. So Finn's whole like kind of subplot thing, I like it a lot thematically. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's executed particularly well. I, I'm I'm gonna go a step further than you. I said I said I like this movie and I like it overall. I really truly think there are two movies going on here. One is one of the best movies I've ever seen, which is Luke, Ray, and Kylo Ren, and we can get mm-hmm. into that. But the other much less strong movie was the everything else subplot or main plot or whatever we want to call it. And that includes Finn. You didn't like Poe? I didn't really like the Poe part no really i i liked i like pose part a whole lot especially because like i said i like i and i I should have gone back and listened to our our review i didn't really like poe all that much as a character in the force awakens um partially that's probably because he was a character who was supposed to die and then they decided no we'll bring him back and then so he was he wasn't really given much to do um but even like from the get-go you know he's basically the first i guess maybe like the second character that we meet um I I didn't like him that much. I didn't think he was that interesting. I think his arc here is much more interesting and, and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, my problems with 
Finn stuff is, I think thematically, I think it's setting up some great, uh, some great things for where sort of, I think this is going with the conclusion we will see. Uh, but it's, it's also a little heavy handed in a lot of places. And also the part, I mean, this is no, this is by no means new criticism, uh, but it feels the most like the prequels to me. Yeah. The, the casino part of it in particular, I thought was really, really prequely. I didn't, I didn't love what was going on. I didn't, I didn't love the part where they called up the little character from last time. And she's like running around on like a GoPro while she's getting shot at, giving them a mission. I'm actually kind of okay. I wish there was more of her to be perfectly honest. I, I love her. Um, she, she's obviously, she gets around. She's got, I, I thought Chewy was her, was her boyfriend, but clearly she has plenty of boyfriends, but yeah, no, there are, there are definitely some places that, that falter. Um, but I think the thing that Johnson does super well in this is he, and, and it's a thing that didn't work at all with, uh, the force awakens, the force awakens worked in creating these new characters and characters that you want to spend time with. It didn't work in story because, it was very much a basically Abrams did what he always does uh, in that he brings his influences to you, which are generally Spielberg in this case, more Lucas. And he just says, Hey, here's a thing that I love. I've repackaged it slightly and now I'm handing it back to you. Um, what I think Johnson does here is, and, and in fact, this in, in the case of the force awakens, it's, literally something from the series that he's making a movie in what Johnson does is he says, okay, here's a number of things that I really love that I think fit thematically with where this story should be at this point in this long now eight episode arc. You know, he's doing things that you honestly could not have done in the first trilogy. And when I say the first trilogy, I mean, a new hope through Jedi, mm-hmm. um, because you actually, you need the mythos that, was laid out in the original trilogy. And, and so he's sort of building on top of that. Uh, and then he's using these influences. Like, I don't know about you, but I felt a whole lot of uh, like the man who shot Liberty Valance in mm-hmm. particularly in the Luke storyline. And then uh, both thematically and visually um, couldn't stop thinking about Kurosawa's Ron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the thing that's interesting about both of those films is those are films from the later stages of both John Ford and Kurosawa respectively. Right. Um, and they're also sort of deconstructing what they became known for with Ford, the Western with Kurosawa, the samurai picture. Um, and, and if not totally deconstructing, at least commenting on from the vantage point of the older grizzled end of life, sort of uh, hero from those typical pictures. And, and there's so much of that going on in The Last Jedi. Yes, especially when you talk about the man who shot Liberty Valance. It it, it opens up and they're uh they're in the 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 20s or whatever it is and they flash back. It's it's definitely like you said deconstructing it and I love that Star Wars has matured enough that we can go in and deconstruct the the, the mythos of the Jedi and yeah. that we can do that through Luke now, I don't know if you have uh, connected to the internet even once since the movie launched. <laughs> People hate that. Yeah. I mean, even Mark Hamill has said, and he said this, you know, over a year ago uh, when, you know, in an interview, maybe it was even an interview for 
the force awakens, but he was kind of saying like, I've read, read the script for the next one. And I don't really agree with where Ryan Johnson takes the character, but it's his version of it. And so I'll do it. And he's, he said that since in, in press for, uh, it, it seems for this, uh, if you uh, believe it, Mark Hamill has come around, really loves Ryan Johnson, really liked working with him and said he's fantastic. If you don't believe that statement, you think Disney paid him money to stop saying bad stuff about the movie. That's the, <laughs> the two camps I basically heard. I, for one, so this is back to the, my first statement, the Luke Ray Kylo Ren, that seemed where I thought Ryan Johnson was the most passionate, the most brilliant parts of the movie, all related to those plots. Felt yeah. like may, maybe they gave him a little more creative control than they did on the other parts. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, the so the Finn stuff feels like a lot of studio mandated. Like we need to have this. We needed to have some action parts. We need to have the um, the. I didn't. I didn't love the running out of fuel style. All that stuff. But every single part of the Luke Ray Kylo Ren stuff felt inspired, both infused with new blood and relying on some of the best parts of empire strikes back to uh, mirror is kind of the wrong word, but to draw inspiration from like those shots back and forth, um, mm-hmm. the dissolve from Kylo Ren's face to Leia's face, to Kylo what, Ren's face. What, uh, well, and, 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 uh, Kylo Ren and Ray, the whole, which, which people have on the internet have been calling their sexting, uh, between the two of them, <laughs> you up, um, no, and those are those are all things that could have like on paper could have seemed like I don't know if this is going to work out. Uh and I think he does it. He visually on, makes you believe it. It was electric. It, yeah. it, every time Kylo Ren showed up when j- just force connected to her uh to to mm-hmm. Rey, it was it just amped that scene up to a a part that or to a to a level that I didn't think was possible from this movie. I thought it would be more derivative uh, back to JJ Abrams real quick. One thing about this film being more experimental uh, made me appreciate what Abrams did. It made me appreciate the fact that he introduced a bunch of new characters to us, unfamiliar mm-hmm. characters in a very familiar format. Yeah. Which, which now it's derivative, but looking back is going to be very valuable for someone hopping into this trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, the, and that's the thing that sort of when, because I, I like The Force Awakens, even like if there has been, even if it's become cool to hate it because it's such a, a New Hope uh, ripoff, like that's not the reason that I watched it and rewatched it and rewatched it. Anyway, it's the reason is because I, I love the characters. I mm-hmm. love the new characters in particular. And, and it's a lot of fun. But, but how do you introduce new characters into a series and make it still feel like the same series? Well, you draw your inspiration heavily from they made a Star Wars movie. They made a new hope with new characters. And now we care about them. We got new toys off the shelf. Now we're going to play with them. I know that's a I think the maybe Washington Post. I forget what review it was said that everyone's mad that he took the old toys and played with them differently. Yeah, <laughs> is, is the analogy they used. You're just supposed to act the same stuff out with them. Well, but that's that's sort of the thing that uh, Mark Hamill was saying about he, he, you know, there was an interview where he said, basically, this is not the uh, this is not where George Lucas would have taken this character. This is where Ryan Johnson has decided to take this character. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally agree with that. Like, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. But um, it's I think it's the thing that is the most interesting place to take this because uh, I, I mean, 
and and honestly, while I see his perspective, my counterpoint would be that you know if you look at Ben Kenobi, aka Obi Wan Kenobi, mm-hmm. in A New Hope, uh, Ben Kenobi is kind of a hermit. He's kind of he hasn't totally given up, but he's clearly shut himself off. Mm-hmm. And he's there's a lot of parallels there. Obviously, Luke has a lot of darker stuff that he is dealing with. But it's not like it's unprecedented to see a Jedi go from a hero to a guy who just wants to be uh, shut off from the rest of the world. Look, why was Yoda living on Dagobah? Yeah. I mean, great, great just, question. That That's kind of what you do when you become an old Jedi. So I think if we're saying this is sort of like the man who shot Liberty Valance, what people want it to see, they really want it to see Unforgiven with Luke. They wanted Luke to be shut off. I don't do that anymore, but you get me mad enough and I come out and I slay everybody in front of me and I I kill everybody. And in a, in a moment where I don't want to kill Kylo Ren, he kills, he kills Luke, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's actually, that is the perfect metaphor for what, what people were, I think were expecting. And even down to when, when Luke shows up at the end, which I mean, I, I think the way that he did it was so brilliant because he shows up and he's got his his hair's trimmed and his beard no longer has any gray in it and he looks like he did the last time Kylo saw him but there's enough it, where in the back of my mind at least I was saying like oh well maybe he cleaned himself up mm-hmm. and um and that's why he he doesn't look as disheveled as he did uh but uh, but then the the fact that he's he's literally presenting himself in as he looked the last time Kylo saw him to provoke him uh, that's, it's mm-hmm. just every, and, and that's the thing. Like Ryan Johnson has always from brick has been extremely smart about understanding how to kind of in the same way Edgar Wright does understanding how to work within a genre and what the rules are, but then also, um, and I think he exemplifies it throughout this film, uh, knowing what expectations are because everyone else is also familiar with the rules and then subverting that. The, the problem that I think some people have is uh, when you're doing it with something like Star Wars, where there's such a big fan base and there mm-hmm. and people have spent two years coming up with fan theories about who Snoke is and all of these other things. It kind of feels like he's trolling the audience a little mm-hmm. bit. I, and I, I honestly don't think that's what he's trying to do. I mean, especially because if uh, you listen to like there's there's a great little um, it's about 20 minute discussion between him and Spike Jones uh, on the, the DGA podcast that I've talked about on the show before uh, where he kind of talks about the process of he basically got JJ's script and then while they were in production was writing the script for this. And so there was no, he was seeing dailies, but uh, the force awakens hadn't even come out yet. So he wasn't even reacting to the fans or any of that. He was just reacting to what he thought the story needed. Um, so I truly think this comes from a place of not just saying like, oh, I'm going to make all of you upset, but saying like, what does this need for the most impactful story? And I I think for the most part, he really, if you look at especially the the uh, kind of long game storyline of of the Skywalker clan and then the the storyline they've introduced with Kylo and Rey, um, he really takes those two to the perfect places that they they need to to go. And the thing the the thing that works so much with with Kylo Ren here is you know, JJ Abrams was smart enough to kind of put that conflict in him in The Force Awakens 
And Johnson is just playing with that back and forth here where to the point that we are rooting for him, even though he is the bad guy, we're rooting for him because we care about him because he has his humanity. He's not Darth Vader. He is, uh, he's Darth Vader in the very last moments of return of the Jedi. I'm with you. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I got a lot to say about Kylo Ren, but I want to go back to what Ryan Johnson did as far as you said, he did so many things right. I think that everyone's so mad about how he handled Luke. It's like these people who are so mad are the the really hardcore fans. They've lived on with Luke through many books that they read or extended universe uh, extended universe material. So if you go back and watch the original trilogy, what is Yoda trying to teach him? You can't be angry. You can't be mad. You can't be violent. You need to be passive. You need to become one with the Force. He's finally become a Jedi at the end of this. He finally does the most passive act. He goes, he saves everyone's life by doing nothing. Not nothing, but by by provoking Kylo Ren and do, doing all the, you know, if, if you are if you buy into it, all the, 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 uh, the amazing thing he does at the end. So then he fades away. And you get the answer to all these things that Yoda has always said about him going back to The Empire Strikes Back, which is young Skywalker, mind always on the horizon, never where he is, which is exactly how he goes out. You know, he isn't where he is. It's like the promise made in Empire, finally fulfilled by Ryan Johnson. He he is forced projecting himself away from where he is to somewhere else. So, so his mind may have always been on the horizon. He may have al- always been thinking about somewhere else, but that is literally his ultimate act as a Jedi. And then, and then that beautiful shot of him with the horizon as he uh, fades into the force or, or becomes one with the force or whatever you want to say. Yoda even comes back to say the same things to him. He, he quotes himself from three movies ago or from the, from empire strikes back. And people still are like, I can't believe Luke just didn't kill all the bad guys with a light sword for three hours. <laughs> well, and he, you know, I, I think I love the parallels between him and Obi-Wan in new hope where it's, he, you know, he kind of does the same thing as far as like giving up and going away and mm-hmm. becoming one with the force as a distraction to save our main characters. But it's not the same. It's not for the same purpose or the same reason. It comes to a, a similar conclusion, but he does it in a completely different way. The other thing is, uh, you know, there, there was throughout the original trilogy, the, uh, there's going to be balance brought to the force. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Luke's ultimate goal is still to bring balance to the force by removing the Sith Jedi uh, parts of it. And by the end of this movie, all we have left is Kylo and Ray, neither of whom are really properly trained in. And, and Kylo, even though he had some training, didn't really care about any of the formalities and the mm-hmm. ceremony of it all. Um, so he, you know, allows it to, in a, in a very strange, peculiar way, come back to balance where, where it becomes the force is for everyone again, because you go back to, uh, a new hope. And when Ben is first explaining it, you know, he says it flows through all of us. It binds us, it mm-hmm. penetrates us. It's not, obviously there are some who can use it and harness it better than others, but it is a part of everyone. Uh, so it's, I, it's, a, and, and that's the thing that I think Johnson is setting up for, for the conclusion is sort of like, 
It's the closing of a chapter, the end of an era of the Skywalker saga, and the power is given back to the people. And because right now we are at a place where it doesn't, it didn't quite feel like empire at the end, as far as like the characters, the direct characters that we're involved with aren't in such a dire place. But if you look at like the resistance, they all fit on the millennium Falcon. That's pretty Mm -hmm. dire. So uh, I, I think he's still set up some some pretty great conflict for a, a conclusion here. People can be upset, and I know a lot of people are. They, you know, I, I didn't like the Le- Leia Superman moment or the the dropping bombers like gravity in space and and all, all these technical problems. And I'll give you that a lot of those were not the best decisions. I I would actually like to defend the gas thing. For a moment, um, I I understand the criticism, uh, but he's you know, and Johnson said early on that um, you know he picked out a few films that he listed as sort of influences in one way or another. One was Three Rebel Samurai. One was Twelve O'clock High, which is a, a Gary Cooper World War II film about uh, about bombers, and Gary Cooper sort of comes in and gets the gets the group in shape. And, uh, but there's, there's a lot of dogfighting, that sort of thing. And the gas, the, the, as, as much as I understand, like, it's something that we've never thought about before because we've never like star Wars films have never presented themselves on a level where you are concerned with those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. You just take it for granted that all of this happens. And he's, he seems to be very concerned with the minutia of actually how things work. I mean, we, I, I don't really want to get into DJ, uh, uh, the, the Benicio del Toro character, but you know, he's bringing that with, you know, talking about mm-hmm. how, you know, the people at the casino, they're selling weapons to both sides and, and all that, you, you know, he's, he's kind of basically what he's saying is we've lived in this, in this world so long, we've lived with this mythos for so long that let's, let's actually look at like how the world would actually function. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he creates what is essentially like a world war two dogfight scenario. Where, you know, not terribly different from like Tom Hardy's character in Dunkirk, where it's we have limited uh, supply of fuel. And so we have to make decisions based on that. Um, I, I really like that. I understand the criticism, but it it totally worked for me. Yeah, that didn't work for me. Like I said, there's not a lot from the other plot lines that worked. I, the one thing I will give you is some people, are, you know, that the criticism about the, the bombers having to get directly over to. This shit. Uh, that doesn't bother me too much. This is Star Wars. This isn't a hard sci-fi. This is to give you the impression of yeah. what that space battle was like. It's not a documentary on the, you know, what a galactic space battle would be like. This is this is not that movie. Well, and I I also appreciate that he gives us the resistance on the ropes. I mean, they were already on the ropes at the end of uh, the Force Awakens. So I think it would be disingenuous to give us like a Hoth battle here Mm -hmm. where you know they're basically the resistance is just holding on by the skin of their teeth the entire time and i i really appreciate that it's it is an uneven battle from the from from the very first from the end of the title crawl yeah the look as as much as i didn't like the deer racing scene i i thought the the little slave kids who carry on the 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 legacy of Luke with the little toys at the end. I, I think it sets the stage for this next movie to take place maybe 10 years in the future. 
I think it's I, I think it's gonna be a big jump before the next movie. We'll see. I mean, JJ's. I I know Ryan didn't dictate anything, and JJ has the the lead on it. So we'll see what he what he decides to do. But there's there's some obvious things that it seems like he set up, and I'll be interested to see. And honestly, I don't totally trust him, but I'll, I'll be interested to see what what Abrams does. Uh, you want to get into Kylo? Let's talk about my favorite scene with Kylo and maybe, maybe the best scene in the entire film, the, uh, the throne room scene with Snoke. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I love everything about this. That that's the iconic, that's going to be the iconic thing from this film. I think that red room with Snoke and the fights against the Knights and, or whatever they are. And well, and, and it, it is a fight unlike fights we've seen before because they are not trained Jedi. This is not the Phantom Menace mm-hmm. with peak Jedi masters against Darth Maul. This mm-hmm. is some kids who you know are decent in hand to hand combat, uh, but they're not Jedi Knights. Against and, some really physical, yeah, also and, not and, Jedi Knights. And so, but it, it feels like it feels like a really uh, kind of rough, gritty samurai battle in the best possible way, and and I, I absolutely love it. I mean, this is uh, with, with I, I mentioned, you know, how I couldn't stop thinking about Ron and and Man Who Shot Liberty Valance thematically earlier. I also couldn't stop thinking about it visually with just mm-hmm. all of the red in the scene. Well, and even even when those uh, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke's guards, when that costume was first revealed, my first thought was those. Um, Oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember. I think it's uh, Saboro. I think the the red the red sun in Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, all of his uh, yes, all of his, and I I, I don't think it's a, it, anyway. Maybe and Jiro. look, that's a proper influence to draw from, considering the Hidden Fortress is is a, a Lucas inspiration. Well, and and that's that's actually a very good point. Is Hidden Fortress is a very just straightforward sort of uh, innocent. Uh, you know, samurai picture. Whereas Ron is much more looking at it in a from a from a more grizzled lens. Um, but that was the first thing I thought. And then and then mm-hmm. with this scene where you've just got the red walls and everything, like I couldn't stop thinking about it because Ron's all about the you know he's packed primary colors everywhere, um, basically dividing the suns and in, into into colors. And uh, it was just visually like wonderful and i i think extremely well executed between the battle and between just the i i and i think like i was saying earlier i think if jj hadn't set up uh kylo to be conflicted the scene wouldn't work at all but because he did you're sort of rooting for something that ultimately doesn't happen i love his character i i love kylo ren i love how he could still go any direction in every scene that he's in. We never know what he's going to do. And Adam Driver has knocked it out of the park. I mean, you basically described Adam Driver, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> well. I, I like I, I like him in, in everything. Uh, here's something I, I think I remember. I didn't see the, I haven't seen The Force Awakens since I saw it in the theater. Okay. Um, Ray and Kylo Ren. They they uh, have their lightsaber duel, and then yeah. the whole planet thing gets pulled apart, right? Or the um, right the, because the Star Killer base is inside the planet, and they're shooting in the yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. And then this time they they get into their force pull on the lightsaber, split it into, and then Laura Dern kamikazes a, a, a ship through the ship and yes. splits the ship in through the fleet, through the fleet. Yeah, which yeah. by the way was the best that that's also going to be a very iconic thing. Did you see uh, the uh, AMC that posted a note that about an hour into this, 
there's going to be a moment where there's about 10 seconds of silence that's intentional. Don't don't get up. Don't make noise. <laughs> no, I didn't see that, but that's awesome. But no, that that's one of the most beautiful parts of, of yeah. the entire oh, film. And, and it looked, you know, uh, uh, just great job. I, I assume uh, ILM still does all the special effects, but... Naturally, man, yeah. Yeah, it, it just looked outstanding. But I like that both times they end up having a confrontation, the world gets torn apart. And I wonder what that means for the next movie. I mean, I, I, I'm very interested to see where all of these characters go. I, you know, at the end of The Force Awakens, I was thinking that Kylo ultimately probably is conflicted and comes back mm-hmm. uh, to be a good guy. Um, I, I mean, I, th- I feel like now he's set up to to be some sort of internal, like I feel like the first order is going to crumble because of the internal infighting between him and, uh, Oh, Donnell Gleason. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Hux. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's, there was that rivalry there in the force awakens. And then with Kylo becoming Supreme leader, um, I still don't think I, you know, I, Hux is not going to give him the, uh, he's not going to bow to his authority. Did you notice the subtle little move for Hux to grab a gun to off Kylo Ren? Yeah. The man, that man, that, that's such a great, just, I, I love that Ryan Johnson played it in the long shot. So you have mm-hmm. to kind of be looking. It's not like a, a close up and a dramatic moment. It's just like, Ooh, this my, Oh, never mind. That, that was fantastic. But I, I think, I think he's set up, uh, something that could be very interesting there. Uh, for for them to have sort of their because because Rin is never going to be a character who is a hundred percent black or white one direction. He's so guided by just his personal feelings and and struggle and emotions. Uh, but that's what makes him interesting, and that's what that's what makes his trajectory interesting. He is now. What did you think? Of, we haven't talked about Ray nearly at all. What did you think of Ray? In this movie, what did you think about the answers about Ray's parents? Absolutely 100% perfect, um, which sounds like a super fanboy uh, response. But no, I mean, no, it doesn't. Re- real Star Wars fans hate all the Star Wars movies. You can't like a Star Wars movie and be a Star Wars fan. Sure. But but the, <laughs> the, the there was a lot of, you know, that was a hyperbolic uh, answer. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I, I think it's the perfect way to because it it's returning us to. Luke Skywalker, boy, uh, uh, desert farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what 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 is he? At? A uh, hydro uh, farmer or whatever. Uh-huh. Like he's just he's just a dude in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's returning the story back instead of being you know about royal bloodlines and princesses and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's going back to it could be anyone. It could be universal. And you know there there's a part of me that thinks well of course. Disney loves this. I mean, because they gave Johnson before this movie even came out, they gave him his own trilogy. Mm-hmm. And there's part of me that thinks, well, of course Disney loves this because this speaks right into their, the wheelhouse of the type of picture that they try to make that speaks globally, you know, to a universal audience. A, um, a little kid force grabbing a broom, a, yeah. a little boy from nothing force grabbing a, a broom. That's nearly like when you wish upon a star level thing. Yeah, it's so universal. So my cynical, like my cynical business cap is like, oh yeah, of course they love this. But I think it's the right way to uh, to conclude it as well because we're getting to a point where there's going to be punctuation on Mm -hmm. the Skywalker family. It's not going to be and then. It's going to be 
that was, you know, it, it, the Skywalker stories could be, you know, a series of volumes and then they're put on the shelf and now on to the next one. And so I, I really appreciate that that is, that is what he's setting up to go into the final one. And, and I think this will end up being known as the Skywalker trilogy of trilogies because we really do start from the beginning with Anakin. We see this whole bloodline all the way through to its end. I, I think that's sadly yeah. how this is going to end up. So, so to answer your original question, I think what he did with Bray, uh, it was very brave to, uh, to tease it out as long as he did. And then to finally mm-hmm. come to, uh, come to spelling it out in, in what is a, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's also the best possible answer. Um, no, I, I, I thought it was very good. And, and Ray, you know, Ray grows throughout this movie as well. Not, not in a way of like, uh, Luke going to Dagobah and honing his skills, but she grows as a character internally. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, the, the thing I like most about the decision to make her parents, nobody essentially, mm-hmm. um, is that we can have closure on this trilogy where we end all the Skywalker clan without having it be a tragedy with a very sad ending. If we can still have a character live on, we can have our character live on. Well, but I, I think ultimately it's gotta, it's gotta conclude with the spark growing into a flame, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, mean that. And and then, and then there's no, there's no one character to focus on because they're everywhere. And look, I, I agree. And I think that is exactly where this is going. Speaking of where it's going, this, this should be our, our time for our uh, time capsule prediction. I think we've got what, two years till the next one comes out, right? Yeah. Um, I just want us each to give one statement, pretty specific statement, but a statement that is going to be true in the next film. Just give me anything. Something you think is going to happen in the next film. Lumpy returns. Lumpy. <laughs> do you want do you want to tell everybody who Lumpy is? You think listeners know who Lumpy is? I mean, if you're a longtime listener, you or if you're a deep Star Wars nerd, you know who Lumpy is. Uh Lumpy is Chewbacca's son from the Star Wars Christmas special. Um and Lumpy is a uh, He's a character near and dear to my heart. I've made a number of gifts involving Lumpy. Um, he's, uh, you know, he, he was the porg of his time. <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing specifically about Lumpy is because he was only invented for a TV special. Like you had, you had Luke, who actually kind of had like a bad haircut. And you, you, you know, you had all the main characters. You had C-3PO. C-3PO looks like C-3PO. Uh, Chewbacca looks like Chewbacca. But uh, Lumpy was invented just for the TV show. And so there wasn't quite as much care given to creating Lumpy. <laughs> and so he, there's just something that looks a little off about him. Like you can see the human eyes behind his face. And so that's, <laughs> that's also a part of, of what makes Lumpy kind of charming in this like bizarre sort of, sort of way is, is Lumpy, Lumpy looks like the first makeup test for Teen Wolf. <laughs> like like he he just looks like Michael J Fox with too much hair. Yeah, yeah, but you you know like you can just tell that there's a little woman behind behind that face. <laughs> and that's part of what I love about Lumpy. But no, Lumpy Lumpy returns and uh he's like a badass general or something. That's my prediction. Here's mine. You you can put put my feet to the flames. This is what I'm saying. The Millennium Falcon is destroyed. 
I'm, that's that's my prediction. It's not a big one, but I'm going to say we're going to see the Millennium Falcon destroyed on screen. It's okay, not making it through the next movie. You, you don't know how? I don't know how. Okay. Uh, I'm sure it'll be in in a in a, 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 a bout of gl- glory that saves some lives, but the Millennium Falcon will not make it through the next movie. That's my, my bold prediction. Sub-question. Speaking of the Millennium Falcon... Does Lando return? I, I thought about making that prediction, especially with Lando coming back in the, in the, the Han Solo movie that's, or that, that's coming out. Yeah. I, <sighs> I mean, I think with with J.J., I think it's more likely than with like if, if Ryan was doing three, I think it's it's more likely with J.J. than it would have been with Ryan. You're right. Uh, although I did hear that uh, Benicio Del Toro's character was originally going to be Lando and they decided against it, which... I'm pretty thankful for. It. Yeah, that's, I, I, I want to see Lando been, again, but I'm really thankful they didn't go there. No, that would have been bad. That would have, I mean, that would have been so distracting. Yeah, like oh, they run into Lando again. They get betrayed by Lando again. He learned nothing. Well, and and I mean, the thing that's great about about DJ is like he shows that there's plenty of characters like that guy across the galaxy, no matter where yeah. you are. Yeah, and and I didn't love that character, and I love Lando's character, but I still don't think Lando should have showed up. I was going to ask you about Lando if, if you if if you think he makes an appearance at all, but I'm going to ask you instead. Make a definitive statement. Do we see an Ewok in the last movie? No, I don't think so. Why would we? We're we're not going to return to Indoor. It was just a random moon that was adjacent to the second Death Star. No, so you're saying no? It. We do not see a, We do not see an Ewok. No, unless Lumpy is married to an Ewok, we don't see an Ewok. Okay, I'm I'm down with this fan fiction, and I'm going to go write it as soon as we're done. But <laughs> but I think it's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. But I, I think it's possible because there could be like a everybody's rejoicing scene. Like they're the sure you know, and they just cut to things, some fan service stuff. Here's all the races you know and love. If that happens, then we got to see ET, right? I was gonna say we got to see ET. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I hope the conclusion's not straight Jedi though, or straight the Phantom Menace. Um, I hope it's something different. All right. So, so what we have is there will be no Ewoks. The Millennium Falcon will not survive, and Lando. Does not show up. High probability. High probability, I think. High probability he does? He does. All right. All right. So we'll we'll, we'll revisit this in, in two years' time. Yeah. And and see how, how much of this was right. But but for now, I think I've I've said what I want to say. And then I'll I'll write ten thousand more tweets about this over the next two years. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Spoilers are done. Spoilers are done. Turns out Rose. All right, Chris. So it looks like your pork pint was uh, is is running kind of low now. What was it that was in that glass anyway? Well, Jake, it's uh, this is not going to be a super uh, surprising choice for anyone, uh, but but it's also you know as as we had to make the obligatory review of uh, The Last Jedi, uh, I've got to make an obligatory plug for my favorite Christmas beer. 
Uh, and I think it, I, I think it does pair nicely. Uh, it is the 2017 Christmas bomb by Prairie Artisan and Ales. They do a batch of this every year. And the first two or three years, it sort of, uh, changed a little bit in profile. Uh, now they're at the point where it's, it's a, it's pretty consistent year to year. Um, but I really like where they, they took it. It got better year after year. And this year's is wonderful. It's, uh, so this is an Imperial stout and a pretty hefty Imperial stout, uh, clocking in at 13% ABV, uh, a little, I think it's a little lower IBU than, uh, the rare, the regular Prairie bomb, uh, coming in at 65. Uh, but still there's, there's a bit, you know, there's a bit of bitterness back in it, but it's a very complex beer, just like the, uh, original bomb. Um, and, but it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit spicier, I think, but also uh, a little bit sweeter for, uh, you know, for the holiday season. Uh, they, they say this is an Imperial stout aged on holiday spices. I don't know exactly what those are. The other, the other bomb bottles typically say, you know, cacao nibs and, and some sort of peppers or, or whatever. This is just holiday spices. Uh, but it is, it's a wonderful beer. And the reason I'm pairing it with the last Jedi is because, um, this, this beer and the bombs in general are beers that are, I would say generally regarded as, uh, you know, a plus flagship sort of. Uh, sort of beer, but also get a lot of shade from people who it's just not their thing. Uh, and that's, I feel like sort of, I mean, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score and I didn't, I didn't check it before we started, but last time I checked, you know, it was critical response, like 93% and audience review was like low sixties. I think last time I saw, um, I don't yeah, know if it's it was, changed. it was not, it was not a strong hit. Yeah, it was, it was a steady downward, yeah. <laughs> downward trajectory. Um, and, and I don't think the response to, to bomb is that bad, but there are people who, uh, just cannot stand it. Um, so that's, that is my kitschy tie in here. Um, There's a lot of people who's been drinking beer for years and they're just like, you ruined beer. (laughs) Exactly. You went back and made all beer I've ever drank bad. Okay. So you, you've been (laughs) exactly, you, you've been, you've been checking out the untapped check-ins. Yeah. People, people are saying just terrible things. No, like it doesn't happen all the time, but there are people who you bring it up and they're like, Oh no, that's, that's the worst beer I've ever had. And I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't even understand how you can like get that up in arms about, uh, about it. Like maybe it's not your thing, but it's not the worst. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a great beer. It's a, it's a limited batch. So if you see it, I, I recommend buying it, uh, sold in single bottles. So if you see a couple, pick up a couple, uh, drink one, enjoy it. And then actually I recommend if you, if you get to age the other one and then get a 2018 Christmas bomb and compare the two, see how, see how this, because it is a, is a stout it ages pretty well. It's going to get, uh, a lot uh, the, the booziness is going to get sharper as it gets older. The, the sweetness is going to kind of roll down, but it's interesting to compare them uh, year to year. I've still got some 2016s in my fridge that I, I plan to compare to these. Um, wonderful, wonderful little beer uh, to pair with a wonderful little, uh, little movie. Even if it is a star war that has some flaws, all of them do. Um, I think it's great. So, so as you are watching star war, the last Jedi space bear, uh, I recommend that you have it with a Prairie Artisan Ales Christmas Bomb from 2017 or 2018 if you're listening to this in the future. Man, it, it, it's it's a shame 
that we're not doing really rad recommendations today because I had a really creative one to link up with this movie. Well, I'm sorry, Jake. We are not doing really rad recommendations because this is a short round review and quite a long one, actually. So I think we're going to have to close out. It's the Empire Strikes Back. Go watch the damn movie before you complain about this new one. When's the last time you watched the original trilogy? Seriously, just go watch it and don't read any of the books. You're going to like this movie. This is a good movie. Why are you so mad about this movie? It's good. Jake, if people want to see this movie, where can they see it? Everywhere. Go outside. You're projecting on the side of buildings. Just go watch the damn Star Wars movie. It's everywhere. And then if you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. And you should like this movie. What's wrong with you? If you'd like to get in contact with us, but email is not your thing, uh, we would still love to hear from you. You can call us on the bright red telephone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. I guess that's a wrap for another episode of Star Wars Starts at Midnight. I'm down. I'm going to be invited back to the next one. <laughs> just just kick me. For being the least passionate Star Wars fan, I have so much to say about how people don't like this movie. It, you, should, you should just find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com. You can get show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Say hello on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at WSAMPod, or confront me directly with the things you hate about this movie. It's at jakerg23 at gmail.com or Twitter or Facebook. It doesn't matter. I'm that on everything. Stalk my Reddit posts. Just tell me why you didn't like this movie. I will argue with you for days. I'm in at least one private Facebook group where people just tell me things they don't like about this movie. And I make fun of them and tell them how good it is and how they don't like anything and how they wouldn't have liked The Empire Strikes Back when it came out. People just do not want to like this movie. Well, if you enjoy the show, you can rate and subscribe to it to get more rants like this. Uh, Do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. Uh, It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan. It'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits or just hating me, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong and... I assume you don't think we got anything right, but at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. And if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it, or just scream some like I'm doing on the microphone. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The Star Wars Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. The Spoiler Alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine, who all hated this movie, but you can check them out at facebook.com slash The Taylor Machine. <sighs> all right, join us next week for another episode of The Carpenter Shop, our ongoing exploration of director John Carpenter's colossal canon. This time, we've got a review of Carpenter's seaside ghost story of century-old saber-wielding sailors. From 1980, it's The Fog. You can rent it right now from all impeccable purveyors of motion pictures. Check it out at your local library or pick up the collector's edition steelbook from Scream Factory. And when it came out, you probably would have hated that one too. So why even watch movies? That that checks out. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. Long live the Supreme Leader. The first one is not creative enough. This one does new stuff. It's too different. What do you want? What Goldilocks movie do you want? <laughs> you turned into Dan Harmon. <laughs> I, just, I don't understand what I understand there's stuff that's not good in this movie, but there's so much that moves the plot forward and confirms so many things from the past while promising things from the future. You want the story to move along, but you like some book I read 30 years ago is wrong now. I don't get it. Jeez.